Nick Helm and Nathaniel Metcalf's fan club on FUBAR Radio. And we're off. We're off. Here we go. Here it is. It's another week. Another, another, another pod, radio show. It's pod, podcast. Most, most people listen to the podcast, do they? I don't know. We don't know, we don't know the figures. We don't know the breakdowns. Don't know the figures. Don't know how it works. Only know what we get paid. Uh, so we mainly do this out of love. So <laughs> you're listening to Five Star Family Fun Size Fan Club. My name is Nick. Just people call me Nick. And uh, this is uh, Nathaniel, Nathaniel Metcalf. What's your middle name? George. George. Nathaniel George, George Metcalf. George Metcalf. Write it um, down. Then you can people remember it yeah. at home if you're listening. Make a note of it, guys. Make because, a note of it. Uh, You'll be hearing that name again next week, probably on next week, or maybe a bit later when um uh <laughs> when we introduce a guest to him. Um <laughs> uh, I I like the fact that um to make you feel better, a lot of the guests <laughs> Uh, pretend that they don't know who I am as well. So. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's nice. I mean, it's uh, uh, it's only polite, isn't it, of them? It's uh, good I on think, them. I think it's bloody rude, considering I know 75% of all of our guests. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, but then by the, end of the, uh, by the end of the hour we spend with them, I like yeah. to feel like, um, you know, it's seventy-eight percent of the guests, you know. <laughs> okay, but you know, uh, we're very grateful for the content. So here, here we go. We are. Um, this is this is another another week. Uh, we talked exclusively about. Uh, if 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 you never heard the show before, this is it. Um, <laughs> this, this is. Slick as it's going to get. <laughs> um, uh, if, if, uh, rule, first rule of fan club, tell your friends. Tell your friends. Second rule of fan club. Please, for the love of God, tell your friends. 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 I beat you. I beat you to it. Friends. <laughs> um, so last week we talked an hour about the series Masters of the Universe Revelations. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I've, I'd seen four out of five of the released episodes and certainly I'd seen none. Yeah, uh, but we still managed to get an hour out of it. That gives you an idea of just and, and Nathaniel had loads of stuff that he'd seen that he wanted to talk about, but uh, we, we got we priorities. Thought, got priorities. Just a, just a quick update on the mass of the universe revelations. Yeah, I have since seen seen the fifth episode. Uh-huh. I do think it is a bit weird. Um, I, ju- I think they would have been much better off. To have just been up front with all the marketing <laughs> and just said he man's not really in it, yeah. And or we, made or, a point of said, "What's the series? Are we doing a spin-off of Master Universe, which is entirely about Taylor?" I think that you're all right because it used to be called He Man and the Masters of the Universe in the eighties, mm-hmm. and so just to leave He Man off the title and call it Master of the Universe, I think that's all right. right? Or like they do in Star Wars, and they say. What they call Star Wars Star story? Wars story, yeah. They could have called it. They could have said Master of the Universe, Taylor's, uh, you know, Taylor's adventure, or whatever. You know, these are all. I think, I think it was really weird when we were editing uh, Heavy Entertainment. Um, I had to choose between a poem. I didn't have to choose between a poem. I wanted to put a poem in, mm-hmm. and 
the producer wanted to put a joke in and it got quite heated because um because i just thought the poem made more sense on a uh, structural level right the poem although didn't have a huge payoff and wasn't like the it was it was funny but it wasn't sort of like a belly laugh right, right. but what it did was it set up character and it set up uh kind of like uh, themes that would pay off later yeah it's, it's richer it's a richer choice yeah, whereas the joke was kind of like you laugh and then you move on. Mm-hmm. And they wanted to kind of like go put the laugh in. And I was just like, I want to put the poem in because it sets more stuff up for the for the episode in the series. And then it got quite heated. And I had to just calm, <laughs> calm them down and just say, hey, I wrote both of them. I love them equally. Do you know what I mean? It's like, I love, I, you know, I yeah. wrote them. I only put them in because I'm proud of that. You know, I think that they're worth being in the show. But when it comes down to it, this one does something different to that one. Yeah. Um, and I think... And presumably that, there are other jokes in the show. There so. are other jokes in the show. It's not like, anyway, so, so, so my point about Master of the Universe is you can love all of these characters, you know, mm-hmm. Um but if you're marketing it as specifically a thing and then it's not that thing, then, and people are like going, what happened to that thing that you marketed? Yeah. And you can kind of like see why people are sort of. Totally, yeah. Yeah. You can see if it's not what, what they've sort of been advertised. Whereas if all the way through they were saying, I, I'm Kevin Smith and I've had an idea for a He-Man spin-off series. People go, all right, I might watch that. I used to like He-Man. Well, the thing is, yeah, the the title of the show is called Master of the Universe. It's not got He-Man in the title. So um, so you don't need to say it's a He-Man show if you've not even included him in the title of the show. Right. But when they brought out the trailer for it, sure. it was He-Man fighting Skeletor to, the, I think it's a cover version, or it might have been like a remix of uh, I Need a Hero. Right by Bonnie right. Tyler, right, and it's just he man and Skeletor fighting each other for like a minute and a half, right. All of that footage is taken from the beginning of the first episode before he gets killed, right, and then and it's kind of like, you know, oh sure, um, and when you get to the end of the series, where which is like midway through the run, and there's going to be another five, when you get to the end of it, yeah, they kind of bring him back and then they sort of get rid of him again, and it's kind of like, oh, right, yeah. Again, you've got to listen to the last episode. I'm not going to go into it for any longer than this, really. But it's just sort of like, I do think it is absolutely... But I don't stand by... Like, it was Kevin Smith's birthday today. He must have had an absolutely shit birthday. <laughs> every Like, everyone's trying to cancel him. He's being sort of, like, attacked by both sides now. Like, people are saying, you know... Uh, you've gone woke and people are saying that you're basically uh, using uh, LGBTQ uh, themes in order to sell a product. You know what I mean? It's kind of like... Can't win. You can't win. And if you do, damned if you don't. So maybe the best thing to do for people is to just try and tell a story. But is that like, would that be... I, I understand what you're saying that it's not selling itself as a He-Man product, but it's selling itself as a... It is, selling itself, it is selling itself as a He-Man product. <laughs> yeah. It is not a He-Man product. Yeah. If you went to see... Uh, actually, that's not true, is it? I was going to say, if you went to see a band that have, like, a lead singer and a group... If you went to see Elvis Costello in the Attractions in 1981, would you be like... It's the attraction... It's actually 
it's just me. I'm just uh, Steve. Was he called Steve Naive? I'm, I'm, I'm Steve Naive, and it's I'm here. And he go, where's Elvis Costello? He goes, he's not here. He's dead. Well, I went to see. <laughs> I went to see Journey, and oh, yeah. when we went to see Journey, uh, the band came out, and then the lead singer came out, uh, and it wasn't Steve Perry. I think that's the lead singer of Journey. And the whole of uh, Wembley Arena lit up with Wikipedia as everyone was like, who the fuck is this? Um, and uh, i tell you what it would be like. It would be like marketing Halloween uh, Resurrection on the, the final showdown between Jamie Lee Curtis and Michael Myers. And then you pay money to see Jamie Lee Curtis. And then she dies two minutes in and you're like, Huh. And then you have to watch Buster Rhymes uh, kickboxing <laughs> and kung, for 90 minutes. Kung, kung Fu kicking Michael Myers for, for 90 minutes. <laughs> yeah. It would be a bit like the marketing executive decision as a Steven Seagal vehicle and not even mentioning Kurt Russell. <laughs> when you watch it, it's like, oh, it's a Kurt Russell film. It's like, yeah, it's kind of like, it's, why, why, why would you do that? But it, but it's not because it's it's like um, because part of me thinks that you know everyone's calling it a bait and switch and you go fine okay but but that's worked very successfully in the past with stuff like Psycho right yeah where that's got one of one of the best it's a twist it's mm. a storytelling thing it's a twist and you kind of like go oh but it feels um, you don't feel like you feel like that's plot driven, you know, it's kind of yes. like, here we go. We're making a film about this thing and we want you to be as shocked as the characters would be shocked. So we're doing a thing. Um, so we're going to get rid of one of the main characters like really early on. And you're going to be like, well, who's the lead? And then you realize it's this other character, you know, that's, that's clever, but you're basing it entirely on 40 year old nostalgia for something that already exists. And sure. you're saying, you're going to get this thing that already exists and then you're making it into something completely different. And uh, I mean, I suppose it's also, it, it's made worse by the fact there's been an absence. Like as we established last week, we don't really care about He-Man despite talking for an hour about it. But I guess you haven't had it for 40 years and you loved it and you're going, well, you're a new series. I love it. I love it. So I can't wait to see He-Man again. There, well, to, to, to be, I think everyone would acknowledge that those original episodes, or most people would acknowledge that those original episodes, as an adult, if you went back and watched them, they're not very sophisticated. They're yeah. not. They're not great stories. Uh, but there is like this. I, there's this iconography that you know, like we said last week. There's this iconography that's lasted all this time, and what all this iconography is really calling out for is a decent story and someone to just handle it properly and go ta-da because they fucked it up with the films they fucked mm -hmm. it up with subsequent tv series of, of massive universe that they brought out where that this is like the the first big push to go we're gonna do this properly this time guys mm. it's gonna actually if anything be better than the series that you grew up with because we because we've got all of yeah, we um we know what we're doing more. It's not just a toy line anymore. It's like this 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 franchise, um, and I think that that's what's really exciting about it. Taking taking a fairly two dimensional character, fleshing it out, or a series of yeah. two dimensional characters in a world, fleshing it out for like a grown up audience. Um, 
you know, not just in terms of age, but in terms of sophistication, you know, kids are a lot more sophisticated than they were back then. And, uh, and doing some sort of like something interesting with this really cool property where it's like, it's science fiction, it's fantasy, it's barbarians, it's cowboys, it's, you know, uh, medieval knights. It's just all of this stuff, like all put together. You're kind of like, what, what are you going to do with it? And um, they, they, you know, they could have done a lot of things with it. And, and also they could have made absolutely everyone happy. Mm, it's, yes. there. it's all there, you know, it's impossible to understand. I can understand them fucking it up because it's mm -hmm. just boring. And um, well, I suppose, it, I suppose, I suppose one of the things that I thought was really impressive and, and, and then we'll move on. Right? One of the things that I thought was really impressive was that Kevin Smith, you know, he's been getting a lot of hate and I think it's fairly unfair. He's kind of done it's He is part of a committee. He is the showrunner, but he's, and it, I think that people are saying that he's lied to the fans uh about what the show's about i think he was really just trying to protect this what they'd worked on you know the secrets of the show that he'd worked on without giving it all away of course so that there was stuff for us to discover or for people to discover but i think he said you know one of the things was that he said that um in interviews in the past like years ago he said he was never really a masters of the universe fan and then he got this job and then he was just like i love masters of the universe <laughs> <laughs> I think what's really interesting is that I fully believe that he loves the show that he made and that they tried to do something interesting with it and tried to do something different and they tried to do something contemporary and they looked around to what everyone else is doing at the moment and they said, well, let's do something modern like that. And they did that. And I think it's more miraculous rather than having a guy that's a fan that got hired by a corporation to make something for the fans. Yes. They got someone that wasn't, particularly a fan of the property yes. because it's two dimensional he was 15 or like in his mid-teens when it came out you who would be a fan of he-man at that age sure. if it was brand new right especially if conan the barbarian was at the cinema that was aimed at your age it's like why so to take someone that isn't a fan and then through working on a project they create something that they're really interested in and they're really yeah. proud of. And by the end of that process, they are a massive fan. They're converted, you know? Yeah. And actually the way these projects probably come about is that someone's approached him and he's gone, Do you know what? I'm not really uh, interested in that. And then by a process of going, ah, well, if I was going to do it, how would I do it? And he just sort of maybe spent an afternoon thinking, well, if I was going to do it, I'd probably do something like this. And they sent it back and it's gone through all the processes. And usually at some point, all these projects stall somewhere. And this one just hasn't stalled. And it's got through like almost the kind of thing where if, and he probably hasn't given it a tremendous amount of thought, but he's given it enough thought like, well, it's an offer. Let's see what, let's see what I can come up with. I'm getting paid to write a treatment or write a, a version of it. And that's, that's all he came up with. And he said, how about this? And after he's done it, he's got in, you know, he's worked out of, well, if I was going to make a, a Master Universe cartoon, what would I want it to be like? And then he writes something up, go, yeah, this is sort of what I'd like to see in it. I'm not a big fan, but I can kind of go, yeah, you know, if I was doing it, um, I'd probably do it something like this. It's like if someone said, like, as you are saying, you're not a big James Bond fan, but if someone said to you, if the Broccolis came to you and said, Nick, we'd love you to come up with an idea for james bond and we'll pay you to give us a little pitch or something you'd probably spend an afternoon going 
I'll have a think about it. And you'd come up with it and you'd probably get to the point where you would have a version of it. You've gone, Hey, I've got some ideas because it's, that's what you're being asked to do, right? You're being asked to come to them with ideas of what you might do and they can pay for those ideas. They're basically paying for your ideas to have a bit of input or whatever. And you go, yeah, I guess if I was doing it, I'd probably do X, Y, and Z. And Mattel have gone, Kevin, we love this. Uh, and he goes, oh, yeah, no, I thought it was a good idea. And he's just, it's just developed he's run again and again. He's run with it. And, and it's totally, and actually as someone who works in the uh, entertainment industry as a writer and a director, being hired as a writer, all he's done really is his job, right? At every point, he's probably just been done exactly what he's been asked to do. Well, he's head of gone, the writing. He's head of the writing group. He's not. Oh right, okay. He's not written it. He's written a couple of episodes, but he's not the sole writer. There's like okay. a team. There's a team of writers. There's a team of people that are doing it, and they're all throwing their ideas in. I think maybe that initial idea was maybe a bit of a misstep. Hmm. Um, uh, I, I, I just think there's a word that it's just. It, I do think it's absolutely. I just can't get my head around it, which is why we're talking about it. Sure. Because. But again, I guess what, what I'm saying there is whatever's happened, and you're saying it's Kevin Smith's birthday, he's probably having a horrible one, is that whatever happened, it's not really Kevin Smith's fault. Because surely this will have gone through Mattel or whoever owns E-Man. He's not made them do anything with E-Man. It's like the, it's like J.J. Abrams with Star Wars and everyone's kind yeah. of like, he is part of the problem, but... Um, he's not the sole problem. It's not just, and it's not just Lucasfilm, it's Disney as well. Yeah, so it's like it's someone's made a decision or a number of people have made a decision. And Netflix. Is, yeah, rather than rather than it being this guy who's been involved in it. Because you can totally see, like let's say someone said, Nick, would you like to do a, a remake updating of Master Universe? You'd probably go, uh, oh, I don't know. It was certainly not a dream of mine. Well, I'll certainly I, go away and have a think about it for a I bit, and I'll it, come back with some ideas. But I think that, that that world is so rich that you could do. I yeah. I do think it's bonkers that they were given it, and then this is what they did. And you go, yes. why, why? You could yes. have done something interesting and new, and not what everyone else seems to be doing with their franchises. Yeah. And, and you could have you could have literally made everyone happy. It's just people seem to be averse to crowd pleasing at the moment. Yeah. You know? And it's, it's like, kind of like just do just do the thing, you know. Do another three Star Wars films. Put Luke Skywalker in them. Kill him off at the end, and you can introduce loads of other characters. Do another do another He Man. Do another James Bond. And while you're doing it, while you're at it, guys, do a load of spin-offs. Introduce hmm. a load of new characters. Well, I was always that way with like the uh, <laughs> when they did that reboot of. They've done two Fantastic Four movies. Oh yeah. None of which, like neither of which. They've done it's three, like Fantastic Four. Oh yeah, you've done They've... three movies, but none of them are like Fantastic Four is meant to be. So it's almost. And then the last one they did was almost like, well, let's do a complete reimagining. It's like you can't do a reimagining unless you've established one yeah. that's like do... a prop. Do one which is like that's your that's your, and then you can do little spin-offs of it because you've got one where you know, and the audience more importantly understands that you're doing a take on a thing. Yeah. Whereas the... like. Even though well, they might like, go, everyone knows about Fantastic Four. It's like, well, they don't, because most of the public don't know who those characters are. That's what that's what Marvel Studios have done really well. Exactly. That DC have absolutely fucked every <laughs> single time. DC are constantly doing kind of like hot takes on characters. They're like going, what if we did Superman 
only we uh, made him really sad and we made it like a heavy metal video and uh, we had loads of killing in it and it was really depressing and it's not really that fun. And we set it in the real world. And you go, yeah, you, you could do that. But you know when the last Superman film was made? 40 years ago. Why don't you just do a Superman film? And, then was it, and, and it's my argument with the Christopher Nolan Batman films, which was you got a guy that's embarrassed to be making Batman films, making Batman films. So you're just like, you know, that's why I think the animated series of Batman is uh, most people's favourite version of Batman mm. because they do the thing. Yeah, they bring elements to it and it's all sort of like art deco and it's informed by other things. It's informed by, we, right, we're not making Adam West, we're going to make him a dark psychological character. It's still for kids, but it doesn't mm. feel like it's talking down to kids. Yeah. And it's and, and, and I go, that, for me, as a massive Batman fan, that is the ultimate version of Batman. And yeah. every uh, film adaptation has been kind of like someone's take on it. Sure. Whereas with Marvel, you kind of like go, that is Iron Man. Yes. And if you're going to do another Iron Man, you've got to find a hot take on yeah. where you'll take that character. And, and actually, think- if you were Kevin Smith and you went, they're doing a new Mars Universe cartoon, they go, well, the kind of gold standard for children's cartoons is probably the... 90s Batman cartoon and we'll have that on a mood board and say we want it to be for kind of all ages so kids can watch it but if you're the dad or whatever or someone who watched it you can watch it with your kid or you can watch it anyway and be entertained by it and go Joe what that's pretty good yeah that's why it's just something for you just go well we'll take what you've done and you will do it like better yes yeah yeah. We'll, we'll 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 age it up a bit. The animation is better. The storytelling is more sophisticated. We're not doing one-off episodes. We're doing a series where each episode follows onto each other. So we don't have to do individual stories you know, and adventures. We can tell a bigger story. That's enough, isn't it? Mm. And yeah. we can also say He-Man's off on a mission, doing something else, and Tidar is doing doing this, and then no one can complain. Because everyone loves Tila from the original series anyway, is what they're saying. But who knows? I think people, I don't know, part, part of me is that people want to be offended and part of me is that he, it's insane what they decided to do anyway. Anyway, what have you been a fan of this week? Well, I know we're trying to move away from it, but I was just about to say that years ago, I, it really stuck with me. I read a review of the film Mystery Men uh, by uh, and the review was by former fan clubber Kim Newman, and he was talking about how good the film is, except the problem with it. And he predicted it's not going to really take off, which it didn't, because he said that currently there isn't really equivalent of this in cinema. So what it's doing, it's mocking superhero teams and super villains and all this. And he's saying, but really they haven't done the groundwork yet. And you think now in 2021, you could make a film like Mystery Men. Um, well, and they, and they sort of have. With, you know, you've got Deadpool. Yeah. Uh, I haven't seen The Boys. Is The Boys sort of like that? I haven't seen The Boys. But yeah, I presume it's like that. Um, and, and he said, this is the thing where he predicts it kind of doesn't work. It goes, it works. But it works when you know what it's referencing. Well, and you go, that's God, that's right. And it's a smart way of thinking about it that... You've got to remember that a lot of your audience 
aren't familiar with these tropes and it's using tropes from comics and putting them in a different medium with the idea that the audience is fully up to speed on the same tropes. It was weird. The, the late 90s, mid to late 90s, it's just really weird how slow I am sick to fucking death of superhero movies. It's really weird how slow it has been to get, you know, like we, like, like we said the other week, like Superman was 78, wasn't it? Mm -hmm. 79? Yeah. And then Batman was 89. And then they made like four Batman films between 89 and 97. And then in between all of that, you had stuff like Dick Tracy, which was like, Batman works, let's do Dick Tracy. And you go, yeah. what? <laughs> Why would you do Dick Tracy? Well, that's it. It's the same principle as, what's the biggest film of the year? Superman. Guys, next year, Popeye. Um, <laughs> it's yeah. the same principle. And then, like... and then, but then Dick Tracy wasn't a massive smash hit. No. So they went, let's do The Shadow. <laughs> let's do The Phantom. So you had those, which aren't, which, which are, uh, which are sort of like, they're sort of the equivalent of Tarzan comics as opposed uh, rather than Batman comics. They're also like newspaper strip cartoons. So I think it's because they would be the they would be the comics that the older people in the 80s would have known about. So it's like yes, I've never right, heard yeah. of these characters. Yeah. So if someone well, says, "Hey, let's do a, a a flash film." They're going, "Who?" And it's like, "No, Batman." Like, uh, "Oh, you mean like the Phantom?" Yeah, and, and it's like, but it's like, uh, you know, all time travel films in the 80s were set in the 50s. Yes. And it's kind of like, yeah, because that was 30 years ago. That's how old you were, you know. Yeah. Um, that's what that was your childhood. That's what you're nostalgic for. And, um, uh, but so, so you had those, and then you, uh, and then you maybe had like uh, Spawn. Yeah. And Blade. And they were kind of, um, uh, Spawn was, uh, an independent comic book company image and they were desperate to sort of like it was used as kind of like marketing for the comic books yeah as yeah. much as as much as a film uh and for the toys um and you know the fact that spawn got a a film before lots of other you know incredible hulk and all this other stuff and then um blade was like a lesser known marvel character but it was really like the first marvel film so and then so in between all of that you know, because things were 90s budgets, it was either like 120 million. I think I watched the thing, True Lies was the most expensive movie ever made in 1995. And it was 120 or 150 million. And um, so in between that, you've got stuff like uh, Blank Man and you've got Meet Your Man. Yeah. Uh, and uh, you've got these sort of like low budget, mid budget uh spoof kind of films because when you actually try and do um i mean this is when you try and do kind of like a a, a mid-budget serious film you end up with something like steel which uh -huh. is the shaquille o'neal film um all five of those in the 90s uh starred uh had black superhero leads yes yeah um and uh, so, it's, but there was like, like mid mid range budget movies, yeah. mid to low budget. Meteor Man and Blank Man were kind of spoofs. Yeah. Um, and so they they would. It was easier to. So when Mystery Men came came along, I sort of liked Mystery Men, although I thought it was slightly too stylistic, mm -hmm. um, and it was slightly too 
it wasn't so much a spoof as just a straight out flat out comedy but it was kind of like um ben stiller being ben stiller before ben stiller do you know, maybe exactly. it was his, maybe he did it straight exactly it was after it was before meet the parents but it was after that's what i mean Mary. and it was it was doing a clever thing where it's cast was like cast from lots of people who you kind of know from other things in supporting roles or like so it's like all it is almost like as a team you've basically got the equivalent of one big star essentially sure you go, oh yeah it's good i like them oh, i've seen it i like that guy it was really I like good, him it was yeah. an ensemble is what yeah exactly it was an ensemble. an ensemble and and uh and none of them were superstars but it was really good it was a really good cast and it, um and there's some good bits in it and i remember enjoying it a lot uh i saw it at the cinema but yeah you're right there wasn't kind of like a, def- a definitive superhero film which probably came along when they did spider-man spider-man 2 and mm. then x-men Yes, and uh, like Spider Man and X Men were both good films, and then they were both followed up by superior sequels, which was Spider Man Two and X Men Two, and um, uh, and then they all failed with terrible third. Film. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, it was just this. I suppose yeah, it was just this weird time where they were kind of like pastiching stuff. But I, th- I just imagine it was cheaper. Although Mystery Men looks like it did have a budget. There was, oh. it had CGI and the costumes looked expensive and the sets looked expensive. I mean, it it didn't look like they were like. But it now seems like, a, again, for that reason, it almost makes you think, God, it's weird it got made. Because like, who were they? How did they pitch it to people? But it was based on a comic book. Yeah, yeah, it's based and on it, a flaming and carrot. And I imagined that the license for it was a lot cheaper than it was for... Oh, absolutely! Yeah, for yeah, Superman, yeah. and they were like, "Wait, we want to make a superhero film. This is quite a good comic. I enjoy reading this. Let's let's adapt this, you know, because Image have sort of gone ahead and made Spawn, and and um, people were making lesser known. Like the trend was, it was weird. We've done Batman, that's done really well, and then in the nineties, aside from Batman, every other superhero film that we make is going to be a lesser known, obscure <laughs> comic book adaptation. You. Know, why wouldn't you instantly just go for the big ones? Yeah. And just try yeah. and get them right. And then, you know, years later, I think as 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 um much of a production line as I think Marvel movies have been, what they've done really well is just like going, This is this is the base level of yeah. what these characters are. You know, we've really nailed what the characters are, and then we we you know, we can do interesting things with them and we can amalgamate different ideas over the years of what these characters have been but these are now the definitive versions of those characters mm. whereas you know we're going to do a fantastic four film great because no one's managed to do that yet yeah it's going to be a body horror movie <laughs> what aren't they meant to be like a family aren't, isn't it meant to be kind of like a bit of like a family like entertainment comedy take on a yeah. Super. It's going to be R-rated, and it's going to be... And it's going to be about the horror of waking up one day and finding out that your body is not your own. It's going to be like Cronenberg. <laughs> okay, are you on Cronenberg right now? I've got to play a song. Let's play a song and then never talk about this stuff ever again, and let's talk about stuff that we're actually a fan of. Mm-hmm. 
Nick Helm and Nathaniel Metcalf's fan club on FUBAR Radio. Hi, guys. We're back. Um, so, so um, what have you been? What have you been a fan of this week, Nathaniel? Uh, just before you answer, I'm just going to tell you what I've been a fan of this week. Yeah? <laughs> no, I do um, because um, good. Because what? Because you ain't watched nothing. Or no, what? I have watched stuff. I've watched a couple of things, but one of the things is probably not worth talking about yet. But you tell me. We don't have to go into this because I think we've sort of vaguely covered it over the thing. Uh, me, me and uh, my girlfriend are watching... Um, she's not seen any films ever. So mm. every time I watch a film, it's really weird because when you're watching, it, when you're watching stuff, you're showing stuff to people that, and they have not seen anything. You know, sometimes I just want to watch Tommy Boy again. <laughs> or The Empire Strikes Back out of context without watching it <laughs> with all nine of the others. Do you know what I mean? Yes. Um, it's sort of like, is it too soon to just read? I watched, what, Big Trouble in Little China three times last year. <laughs> this year, once. <laughs> I, um, I, I do I do letterboxed and sort of mark what I've seen. Yeah, and then see. at the end of the month, I do a thing. When I look at it, I go, that's insane. What I've watched. Do you know what I mean? You just think, none of these films are like big movies that people they're not like new movies that people are talking about yeah it's just like i'm just following a muse now like and i'm not watching things because i'm going oh, i bet that's going to be good i'm watching it sort of going ah sort of just vaguely interested dream, and i watch them and go yeah it's fine the dream would be to watch every single film ever made yeah exactly and just for we'll the context ne- we'll never do that because they bring no. out more films than we can watch you know <laughs> every day right so it's so so yeah, I my ultimate goal is to watch every film that's ever been made, <laughs> and when you realise you can't do that, it's just got sort of. But I, I I've seen that you I've seen your screen grabs of your letterbox thing. Uh, interesting to see that uh, none of the movies I'm in uh, get reviewed at all. You just give them blanks. Oh yeah, I could do. But then it feels like um, yeah, it feel it feels weird, doesn't it, to do that? What to just give stuff that your friends are in five stars. Like help, my stars yeah, to right. help to help improve its uh, visibility okay do that yeah or unrated because it means <laughs> it's a bit shit but uh, i know someone that's in it i've done it we've all been there <laughs> we've we've all got friends in the industry mate uh <laughs> you host a show with me five stars all the way thank you <laughs> uh but, no it's fine it's nice that you watched them um so um so when you're like well, watching these films, you don't really end up watching anything that you really want to watch, but you end up sort of like doing homework with mm. your partner because you go, well, you've got to see this so that we can watch this. It was like watching all of the DC movies so that we, so that I could watch four <laughs> hours of Justice League. And you go, but you, I can't just, we're trapped in a flat together. I can't just sit down one day and watch four hours of Justice League. Hey, we'll make it a communal activity. Do you want to watch Suicide Squad? I'm looking forward to the new Suicide Squad, though. Stallone is a massive fucking shark. Yes, please. Um, so so uh, we went back and we watched... Uh, we started the Mission Impossible franchise. Oh, nice. Um, and Oh, I've just remembered two. Sorry about that. That's what we did this week. <laughs> so Mission Impossible 1 is so dated and crazy... Uh, and it's sort of quaint, 
Especially I've watched you, it recently, the first one. I think it's great. Well, especially but it, when you, but when you see what the franchise turned into, and there's yeah. so much like green screen. But I think watching them in sequence is so fascinating because you can literally see a franchise. They didn't nail it on the first one, and they took a massive step back on the second one, and then in the third, it's like, hey, so what we'll do? We'll make a franchise based on the Mission Impossible. And what's Mission Impossible? It's a team of people that go in in disguises and costumes and they have fake sets and they'll get kind of like uh, 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 it's set in a cold war and they'll get a Russian who's defecting and they'll create this whole scenario around them that they're not aware of in order to see whether they're a genuine good guy or a bad guy and then at the end it will reveal how they did it and you know and it's in completely requires there to be a team of people and we'll make it into a Tom Cruise vehicle yeah. where we kill off the entire team. And, um, and it's kind of like they go, right, okay, so what are we going to do? Right, well, we'll have this it's Tom Cruise. Hmm. Uh, and then we'll get a superstar director who's got such a distinct style. And we'll attach them to it. Yeah. And then there'll be like stunts and they go, right. So they did the first one. And then there's the train sequence at the end, which is all green screen. And you go, yeah, yeah, sure. And the first one is brilliant. I think it's really good. Except for he's looking for the, what's the bad guy called in that? They've got a three letter name and he's looking for the bad guy. And he just types their name.com into the internet. And it's like, <laughs> like the internet is so new. And, um, uh, and so he, he's looking for like his secret assassin and he Googles them. Um, because nobody knew what the internet was. And so the first one is a great little thriller with some brilliant set pieces, right? Mm -hmm. And then uh, and then they do the second one, and the second one starts off with this death-defying stunt where he's climbing up a... Yeah, uh, a, a side rock. of a mountain, yeah. Yeah, right. And the, and it's John Woo, so they've got this superstar director who's got his own style. He's... Uh, um, um, and uh, and it's Tom Cruise again, but we're slowly going to introduce team members, right? Ving Rhames is back, right? Great. Um, and then the third one is like, okay, well, John Rue didn't quite work out as a superstar director, um, so let's just get a competent director. And it's Tom Cruise and stunts. That's what we're going to do. Um, we need another death. I can't really remember the third one that much, except for it's got um, Philip Seymour Hoffman in it, right? Yes. And they've taken J.J. Abrams from uh, Lost and uh, Alias, and they've gone, well, let's give him a go at making a, a, a movie. Mm. Right. And still Tom Cruise, but it's not a superstar director. It's just a very competent director. Or TV director, I guess, at that point. TV well. director, someone that will do what we basically tell him to do. Mm -hmm. And now it's going to be, it's really a Tom Cruise thing. And then the fourth one is, well, let's get Brad Bird to do his first live action film because he's really good with The Incredibles. He knows how to do action with like, animation. And then we'll get him up the top of that um, building in Dubai. Mm -hmm. And now it's all about like, we'll get him to do stunts. Then you do the fifth one and you go, is it um, Christopher McQuarrie? Yeah, yeah. Who did Valkyrie and Jack Reacher? And didn't he write Usual uh, Suspects? Usual Suspects. And he directed Way of the Gun. Yes. Uh, yeah. So you've got this guy, and he's not a superstar director, but Tom Cruise knows him. They've worked together. And now it's going to be like, I think getting a superstar director uh, is one step too far, right? And it's one gimmick too far, right? So actually, we don't need a superstar director. What we need is a, a competent director. And it's all going to be about Tom Cruise and stunts. 
and that's what the franchise is now mm -hmm. and then when they did the sixth one it's like we'll get christopher mcquarrie back we won't bother with a new director every time let's, he did a good job so let's just get him back and we'll do it again yeah and it's kind of like you're watching them evolve like that the it's really weird watching the second one the second one is shit it's utter shit like it's unbelievable shit I, I could not, I saw it at the cinema and it didn't offend me that much. And I was so into John Woo at the time. It's not even as good as Broken Arrow. It's not even as good as like, so you did Hard Target, Broken Arrow, Face Off, Mission Impossible 2. And it is shit. It's like definitely his worst film that he made in America. It's awful. Uh, as a sequel to Mission Impossible, you know, watching it through the eyes of someone that doesn't, hasn't watched a lot of films, hasn't watched any Brian De Palma films really, um, hasn't watched any John Woo films. So she's not watching it from the point of view that this is a director. You know, this is a director to watch out for. This guy's good. So the contrast between watching the first one and the second one is like, this is a movie and this is like a TV pilot for a Channel 5 mm. show. It's kind of, it's kind of crazy. And then again, I think it's really interesting that a lot of, or maybe not a lot of, but a few ideas are directly stolen from Darkman, where the bad guy has a cigar cutter and he cuts oh, yeah. people's fingers off with it. And you go, yeah. that, that's in Mission Impossible 2. Uh, there's a gag with um, one of the Mission Impossible masks, you know, um, where a guy in Darkman has uh, some duct tape taped over his mouth and a mask put on him. And when he's screaming, you can see like, he's like shouting for help and you can see like the silver under, under his lips. Uh, and then they shoot him and then they take the mask off and they realise it's one of their guys. And you go, oh, no, we killed one of our own guys because he had a mask on. And they just do that in Mission Impossible 2. And you go, that's weird. And it's even weirder when you look at the mummy and you go, he stole, they stole direct sequences out of American Werewolf in London. Mm. It's kind of like, they're not huge films. They were kind of like cult classics that took time and have stuck. And I would say American Werewolf in London is probably more well-known than Darkman. But they're like these horror movies that were sort of not like shit films. They were well-liked films that have stuck around, um, that are made by some fairly big directors. Um, so you haven't kind of like just picked like a TV movie and taken a bit from that. You're taking these great bits from these great movies that aren't huge movies, cult classics, mm. and you've put them in these Tom Cruise movies and gone like, yeah, there you go. You know, they're, they're some of your best ideas in those movies and they're taken from other films. It's weird. Um, but Mission Impossible 2 is a real standout because you kind of like go, right, they've really, this is awful. Or the slow motion is annoying. Tom Cruise's haircut is annoying, which is only there, I suppose, because of the slow motion. Yes, yeah. Because yeah. he has short hair and all the others, so kind of like, and you get the feeling, right, we've got John Woo, and his first comment was, right, you need to grow your hair because we're going to be shooting 50% of this movie in slow motion, and you're going to be... It's weird. And it is also weird, quite weird to try and work out who Ethan Hunt is and what that character is. Because watching it back, he's a very cocky character that's got a, lo a lot of kind of like one-liners that don't really work. And I guess they're sort of like ironed out a little bit as the franchise goes on. But I re I remembered him as more of kind of like an angry, um, uh, intense, straight character. But when you watch it, he's kind of like, he's like this barrel of laughs, 
that's kind of making wisecracks with Amelia Estevez and kind of like, hey, I'm going to have a pint with Ving Rhames. Do you know what I mean? He's kind yes, of like, yeah, yeah. he's like this laid back. I'm fun. I'm fun. I'm a fun guy. Uh, it's just, yeah, it's kind of I think I, I, I always think the first one is the kind of gold standard. And I know, I think they have kind of, they've really um, chopped away at it till they've got something now which is replicable. Is that the right word? Like you can replicate it, you know, it's that. Whereas, but I think that first one, there is something great. And I think the most riskiest bit in Mission Impossible, which I think could have ruined the whole movie, but works, is that first taking off the rubber mask reveal and having like a kind of bam, bam, bam. And it tells you, yeah, we're going to be doing silly stuff in this, even though it's the 90s and we're supposed to take things really seriously, but we're still going to have someone pull a rubber mask off and it's going to, and you go, and I think it actually made the audience go, yeah, this is what I want from a Mission Impossible film. It isn't, it isn't trying to do it more seriously. And as soon as it does the opening credits and it matches the old opening credits with the, uh, the huge wick that's lit, and I think I think that's the selling point. And also, I thought one of the great things about it was that thing you used to do in a TV series. It's when they show clips of the movie you're about to see yeah, in the yeah, opening yeah. credits. And I think that's such a great idea. And it's again taken from the TV show where it's about ratings and an audience. And if you're watching the TV show, it's like, oh, this is going to happen in the next hour, and you've got things blowing up. So in the opening credits, you're going, oh, I'm going to watch this because I've just been shown. And I, I sort of still think it's a really neat idea, it's a great. way of. It's yeah, it's it's great. It's it's like um um when you've got Mission Impossible, Mission Impossible as a series had enough gimmicks in it that you could go yes. Whereas Man from Uncle was kind of like oh, it's uh, a Russian and American. Yeah, that's the gimmick, and the Saint was kind of like it's Roger Moore. So when you're redoing the Saint, it's kind of like your big problem is that you've got to recast Roger Moore. Mm. Uh, and they did that with Val Kilmer. It's kind of like, uh, no, nobody really, the saint didn't take off. So M Mission Impossible is kind of like, you don't need a star because you've got the masks and you've got the impossible mission yeah. and you've got like it, spies. Yeah. And, 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 and if anything, like, like Mystery Men, it probably should have been an ensemble. But that's its first big thing, isn't it? That they've gone with basically, it's, an, it's a series with an ensemble cast of lots of people with different skills but when we do the movies, it's a star vehicle for one man. But they do sort of they do a bait and switch where yes. the where the beginning of the film is oh we're introducing Amelia Estevez and yeah. literally we just watched Young Guns and my girlfriend was like oh great Amelia Estevez mm. and then you go yeah he's brilliant isn't he yeah you're gonna love this and then he dies and she's like what and it's like a genuine yeah. shock and you're just like I know. And then it's like you got Tom Cruise in this film, who's literally, oh god! And like, if you're a fan of the TV series, and this is a follow-on from the TV series, it is a, it's like a jaw-dropping. Oh my god, they've killed off the team! And so also what... at the time, Christian Scott Thomas, who'd just come off of uh, Four Weddings and a Funeral, mm. and was like again, sort of very much on the rise. And that as a the team they have at the start is a totally believable mid '90s star vehicle. It's yeah. like, wow, that's your. That's yeah. your lineup, and jo John Voight was meant to be. Was it Robert Graves? Yeah, yeah. Uh, from the from the Mission Impossible series, and Robert Graves was like, "I'm not doing this because you're not treating my character with respect." Yeah. Isn't it? Is he? Isn't he meant to be the same character as well? He's got yeah, the yeah, same he name. Is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But Robert Graves didn't come back to do it, so they recast it. But um, 
But I and I think that's fascinating because it was kind of like, no, this isn't just a spin-off from the TV series. This is a sequel to the TV series. Yes. This is a continuation of the TV series. I think it, I think that, that first one exactly is great. And you know, you were talking about rebooting James Bond, what would you do with it? And you go, just make a really good spy movie. Make mm. something that's got twists and turns, it's really interesting, and it's kind of like I'd even take a step back from like the huge set pieces and the special effects and just tell a really decent, thrilling story that keeps you on the edge of your seat. You know, you go back and watch those 90s. I'm not saying do a James Bond film like this, but like, you know, you watch The Fugitive and it's literally, it's so tense and it's a guy trying to get information whilst being on the run. Yeah. And it's just such a sort of streamlined idea, but really tense. Um, and that was based on another TV series. So I guess you had Mission Impossible and The Fugitive. And it's just like, well, what else can we do? Maverick. We'll do all these films. Um, yeah, I think that first Mission Impossible film is great. But but then with the series, they were like, right, well, it's not just going to be the gimmicks from the TV series. What are our own gimmicks that we're bringing to it? So we have all of the TV series as the base level. And then on top of that, we're going to build in it's Tom Cruise doing an actual death-defying stunt every time. And that's what you're going to come and see. Um, and he's tried with other franchises, you know, Jack Reacher and The Mummy, where he's gone, we'll take uh, a Mummy movie and we'll make it about Tom Cruise. And we'll take uh, Jack Reacher, which is a series of books about a six foot seven blonde <laughs> uh, CIA agent. And uh, Tom Cruise has gone, well, we'll make it that. So, And then it's like Mission Impossible is like, it's a series about a team and we'll make it about Tom Cruise. So every time he goes into a franchise, he tries to get a franchise off the ground. It's kind of like he'll take something that is badly fitting for as a star vehicle for him, and he'll sort of like try it. It's like square peg round hole. He's just jamming himself into all these projects, and it's like Mission Impossible. Really, I think it really works. So, but the second one is terrible. Over to you. You've got a minute to tell me what you've been a fan of. <laughs> I see what I have been a fan of. I've seen the Suicide Squad, but I might wait till you've seen the it. The new one? Yeah, seen it. What do you think? Better than the original? Oh, yeah. It's better than the original, for sure. Is it good? I liked it. And it was... But it's a real up and down journey for me. I, but, like, it sort of... I think it earns its next 10 minutes every 10 minutes. You go, no, I'm not sure. Then something will happen and you go, I like that. And it's like that all the way through. Some, I, I thought it was like something good or funny happens every 10 minutes until you get to the end and you go... I found that really satisfying because it's I'm constantly amused by it. I'm constantly like, yeah, I like that. I like that's a good idea. That's a good idea. That's a good idea. The end. It's like, great. Okay. I liked uh, it. Uh, and is Stallone good? He is good, yeah. He's yeah. in a very little bit there, right? No, he's no, not really. Oh, really? Yes. Oh. But he's like, he's very much, <laughs> um, it wouldn't have taken him long to... <laughs> Recorded his lines. Yeah. A morning. He, he was he was in a studio for a morning. <laughs> great. No, great. Brilliant. Um, oh, well, I'm really excited about that. I, well, I'll watch it and then you can talk about it yeah. next week. And also for our listeners, if you're listening live week by week, we'll give you all a week to catch up and then we'll talk about Suicide Squad. Yes. We've all got homework this week. Let's do some fan mail, shall we? Great. Oh, yeah. Hi, Nick. Hi, Nick. Oh, I've lost my voice today. I've got a bit of a frog in my throat. Hi, Nick, Nathaniel, Natalie, and Brian. I watched The Lost Boys when it was on TV recently and loved it. Kiefer Sutherland is a beautiful man. 
What are your favorite sexy horror films? Cheers, Maggie. Sexy horror films. What's a sexy horror film? I think Fright Night is. Uh, it's it's weird. It's not one of. It's, I wouldn't say it's my favorite film, but I think Fright Night. Just I love it. I come back to it regularly. It's funny. It's scary. It's creepy, and it's also kind of. Um, uh, Chris Sarandon is kind of like really. Oh, what's the word? He's sort of really creepy, um, but he's he's shot like he's sexy, but it's got 80s... It's weird. He's wearing sort of like this trench coat, but they've gone... Because it's the 80s, but they've gone, we'll make it look a little bit like it's a cloak as well, because he's a vampire. And so he wears this really disgusting, grey, like, leather trench coat slash cape. And there's sort of like things in it, but it is it is quite a sexy film. Mm. Um, but I wouldn't say that I find uh, Chris Rana particularly attractive. But um, it's a it, film a film I certainly found sexy growing up was an American Wealth in London. Well, it's uh, got that sex scene. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, Natalie's pointed out that Bram Stoker's Dracula, Francis Ford Coppola's Bram Stoker's Dracula, uh, it, was it's a sexy film. Okay. Um, yeah, yeah, I can see that. I guess, yeah, I can, I can, see, that. I can see that. Um, uh, yeah, and obviously, the ending of Society is one of the sexiest moments in any film. Uh, if you've not seen Society, don't read up on it, just watch it. Uh, it's really sexy, uh, but make sure you take your trousers off first because you won't have time when it gets started. Um, so... <laughs> <laughs> it's gone. Uh, Natalie, interestingly, has pointed out that The Exorcist. I don't think The Exorcist is a sexy movie in the slightest. Oh, I wanked. I thought. Fucking <laughs> <laughs> hell. Did you see that? Are you, were you made of stone, are you, Nathaniel? Her head went 360. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Four. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, I can't really think of any other horror films at all. Um, sure. Hi, guys. I was doing a show in the early days and then didn't keep up and have come back to it a while ago. Great. Thanks. You sound a bit lonely. Has the no new film situation given you the blues? Thanks, Stefan. Uh, oh. why, are we, why do we sound lonely? Well, I don't know. Could it be because of the uh, global pandemic, you stupid fucking cunt? <laughs> right. Hello. I like your film talk. I'm not a big believer in films, but I'd like to get started. I've seen Dumb and Dumber and Schindler's List. What films would you recommend? Dumb and Dumber and Schindler's List. I hope you watch uh, Dumb and Dumber afterwards. Hmm. That's the best way around, I would think. Um, <laughs> I found one of them hilarious and the other one tragic. I'll let you be the judge on which was which. Um, well, Jordan. well, that's a really crazy couple of films that you, mm. the only films you've seen. And we don't know if you liked them even, so it's difficult <laughs> to uh, put uh... I think you're on your own a little bit. Uh, just, you know, just I think if you just watched any other film, then you should you'd watch have... um, Roberto Benigni's Life is Beautiful. <laughs> you should watch <laughs> Roberto Benigni's Pinocchio. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's your next one. Look you'll, believe, you'll believe a 56-year-old man is a little wooden boy. Um, <laughs> he's done it again. He's done another version of Pinocchio. <laughs> he, did a, he did a version of He followed up Life is Beautiful with Pinocchio. 
And then he's just done another version of Pinocchio where he's Geppetto this time. And you just think, fucking hell, man. <laughs> Jesus Christ. He's got a real hard on for Pinocchio. Um, right, well, that's, that's our letters this week. We'll go to a song and then we'll get our guest on, right? Yeah, yeah, let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> Nick Helm and Nathaniel Metcalf's fan club on FUBAR Radio. And we're back. We're back live. We're not live. Uh, we're pre-recorded on a Wednesday. It comes out on a Friday. And uh, we're back in the studio. We're not in the studio. I'm in my spare room and Nathaniel is in his washroom. And uh, we are joined now by writer, actress, comedian, presenter, all-round comedy legend, Helen Ledra. Uh, who's here to talk to us about the launch of the 2021 Comedy Women in Print Prize. Hello, yes. Helen. How are Hello, you Nick. I'm really well. Quite hot, though, uh, because we can see each other and the love your wonderful, loyal listeners can't. I think we're all quite shiny. I mean, um, you are, Nick, in a good way. It's not a criticism, but you are shining. Well, see, I've got... Um, you're, you're saying it's hot, but... Um, <laughs> I'm really uh, cold. I've got my window oh. open and it's a great oh. sky outside and the grey sky is reflecting <laughs> across uh, my giant forehead oh, and okay. I just look all washed out. But I'm freezing. Oh, OK. No, and that wasn't a criticism. It was just like an observing thing. I mean, what about my backdrop? Would I you know like what? to talk I about that? I love your backdrop. It looks yeah. like you've got sort of plants growing yeah. amongst bookshelves. Yes. It's kind of, it almost looks sort of fantastical yeah, uh, sort of surreal. like a Midsummer Night's Dreamy kind yes. of. Yes, it's got that oh, sort of vibe. You're so artistic, it? both of you, aren't you? Already, like you wow. conjure your images, oh. your wordsmiths. I know you. I research you, but also <laughs> there's a trick thing for that screen that won't be very interesting to, because it's a photograph that I had made into a screen out, out of the anxiety at the Zoom thing, right, and yeah. so it's a trick. It's not oh. real. It's, not it's real. a screen. Because you can see the ending of it. Anyway, but how lovely this great program, comedy <laughs> women in comedy women in print, uh, in its third year, yeah. Mm. Um, and uh, so the aim is to, <laughs> uh, well, it's quite. Do you know anything about it, or do you want me to drone on in a like? What, what's the thing here? What should we do? Well, what should we do? Well, you launched it. Well, I tell you what. Here, here we go. Here we go. Yeah. We've, on, just, we've just played your favourite song, which was uh, Letters... Uh, what, message letters, to You. Message to You, Rudy, right? Rudy. So <laughs> what is it about that song that's that you... <laughs> uh, OK, so that... Well, I know you're both brilliant stand-ups. Um, that was the sound. Was that my sound? Uh, oh, did you hear that? No, oh, no. Really? Oh, because we're on headphones. Um, <laughs> and <laughs> oh, we're doing so well. So um, that, so doing with a stand-up. So I was, oh, help me, law. So this is I was up, go. Well, were you in Edinburgh two years ago, both of you, doing your great shows? 2019. I was there 2018 last. Okay, 2019, yes. yes I was. And Nick was 19 and that, and I were up at the same time, so 18, right? Mm -hmm. So that was me going back to see if I could even remember like sentences to say in order on stage. So I went back as an old person doing stand up, <laughs> sort of, yeah. 
and I just have that that and that music, and you just need do, what? How do you get going before you go on stage? I just need that music to go. Yes, come on, and mm. and get and go for it. Yeah. Do you mean? Do you mean like um, walk on music, or do you mean like as the audience are getting in, you play them uh, something? Good question. Uh, as the audience are in, I need to get them into a frenzy. That that music is subliminal frenzy potential, right? So it's just to get people going. Hey, yeah, I wasn't that happy, but um, here, okay, a part of with some money. I don't know what Helen's going to be like now. I used to see her like five hundred years ago. Uh, okay. Oh, this music. Whoa! And then they start getting in the zone, yeah. and then you come into a climax of that kind of scar music. Yeah. And that's that's it. I think it's really important um, the audience getting in music. Yeah. Um, I used what do you have? What do you play? Well, I normally have like a combination. I, the year that I really liked was I had the combination of uh, ACDC mm. and mm. Aerosmith. I I, mm. I like I like I like rock rock music, and it's okay. sort, of, sort of stuff that you don't really hear in clothes shops when you're walking around. <laughs> every day <laughs> so when you yes. when you invite people or when people come to see you uh on stage and and before you've come out they get like a little taste of what to expect and what your tastes are yeah and you get to sort of like control the room mm -mm. even before you've entered the stage by picking the music that they listen to yes. while they're waiting i think it's really important it's I agree. so I, important what do you have now what's your i have it different for every show i try and have something that's vaguely themed to what i'm going to be talking about maybe or oh. but then i also have like a thing that i really like which is sammy davis jr once recorded lyrics <laughs> to the theme to hawaii 50 Oh wow! And to me, it is the most upbeat piece of music. How would that go? I just let's. Can you? Uh, I don't know. I don't goes, know how Hawaii. If goes. you get in trouble, <laughs> you can call on me. <laughs> Even Hello. if you are near, you <laughs> are across the sea. <laughs> see. Oh, I will yeah. think of something to do. I'll be on the lookout for you. It's like that. That's oh, no, so that is great. so empowering. That's kind. That's empowering. <laughs> You're in somebody's hands. Everything's going to be all right. They're looking at nice. Oh, it even, says, it even says in the lyrics, you can count on me. Oh, count on me. So I think you're subliminally <laughs> telling an audience, oh, it's going to yes. be fine, isn't it? Oh, God, yeah, that I confidence. I trust. You you this both person. do this and it's so nice to kind of talk to modern practitioners you know that do you think it's like you have to be like a sheepdog slightly you know sort of keeping your eye on the audience like round like that nick was saying control you know you have to control that nobody leaves well mm. some people might leave but you I, know i think it's more to do with kind of like you're setting out your stall and mm. If you can kind of like give people like an inkling of what to expect, do you know what I mean? It's kind of like you've got an hour in their company and you're kind of like going, right, um, this is this is what we're doing. Yeah. And it's not so much that you're controlling them, but you're taking control of the situation and going, yes. we're in my hands now uh, for an hour and, you know, then you're going to go out and do something else. So, yes. But the moment you walk into the room, uh, <gasps> yes. we're in this together. I think it's exciting. I, I agree. I agree. And also, yeah, the that, the, the pleasure principle, um, you know, like obviously one's got heightened adrenaline before, 
I just when I was there, I just somebody I was crying actually. I was having my hair washed in Harvey Nicks because I in those days couldn't wash it myself properly, which is ridiculous. That's one thing I've learned in lockdown. It's a <laughs> terrible admission. And I was crying in Harvey Nicks about something or other. Um, and she said told me to go down to Princess Street, get the um that CBT oil. Right, so yeah, yeah. then I and I just kept taking more and more. And I don't know if it made me stir. I don't know. But I was really happy. So I, it, it is that kind of um, happiness principle that you're all in. Yeah, you have, have a transaction, don't you? So I would tell them about the CBT oil and, and I, I would just, you know, and hope that that experience was a positive one. But it, it and it was never the same. Every night was different. Yeah. Is that the same with you? Yeah, I, well, yeah. I'm, and also days of the week are different. Like mm. people's, people's energy on a Monday is different from mm. a Saturday. And sometimes Saturday's the worst day because, yes. because people are drunk. Like they've had all day to drink. <laughs> and, uh, and, and expectations. Yeah. That gladiatorial, yeah, make us laugh. But the, other thing, about, but the other thing about anticipation is that also I really like uh, theme parks and the queue to get to the theme park because the ride is sometimes 30 seconds and the queue is half an hour 45 minutes and so if they do the queue really well you can enjoy the queue as much yeah. as you can enjoy the show yeah and then that's when people busk in the queue don't they because it's a captive audience but that's quite a scientific analysis there nick about the timing so you're timing the queue and then you're timing the ride and the i've ride. not thought of that before and if you but it's not just queuing to get into the show but like once you're in your seat and the music is playing then you can kind of like you can whip them up into a frenzy without even doing anything just by playing the music yeah so by the time yeah. you appear on stage yes they're like, oh yes oh, oh here come we go. on come I find on a, I find who is this person a, another good technique is to get on stage half an hour late as well because by the time <laughs> by the time no. you're on stage they're really up for it oh no they've left and they hate you <laughs> like there's so much grumble in fact I, I mean, I was reading you. You did the training. I need to speak to Nat as well. Don't want Nat to feel left out. Of this my interview on your show. He, he's but, all right. He's all right. It's fine. He's I'm happy with it. this. Oh, good, good. Um, um, but then I read Nick that you had trained the conservative person, Baroness person, Saeed Avasi. So all these um, tips that, that we're sharing, because um, I also have done stand up in my time sure. uh, I, and I love I love talking to other comedians about those you know because you we know the th without being mean to the people who haven't done it we know that we've all done that so yeah. I'd be quite curious to know what it was like <laughs> to get a person and what was the purpose I mean was it for a tv show or just because she needed to be a stand-up as opposed show. to a politician we were put we were put together for a show last year uh, for stand up to cancer and uh, the show is called Stand Up and Deliver. Uh, okay. And we filmed. We filmed. We were meant to film it in January, but it got delayed. And then we ended up filming it in November, and it came out in March. Mm -hmm. uh, and it was good. Oh, oh I player it. That would be interesting to watch. We. Uh, it will be on Channel Four somewhere. And okay. They, they have those things. You can get them. Can't yeah. You? They. I think it's four OD. In, uh, in the world. It was a good learning process, but I didn't want to be <laughs> paired up with a Tory. Um, no. So what did you do? How did you, did you, I mean, did you dress differently? Did you speak no. in a different <laughs> she way? Did. She did in the end. Casuals? Casuals for stand-up? You could, it was, it, it was very easy to get, just get bogged down in the politics. Yes. And, and not get any work done. So yes. I just tried to work out what she wanted to achieve as a human. 
Great question. And then <laughs> I want uh, that one. <laughs> I love that question. She was. She was about You'd be a life coach, Nick. It was. It ended up being. Well, I'm not going to take any more. She was very. She was very uh, good. She you know she does public speaking, so she could. Yeah. But it was about breaking down what her public persona was, and then building up what she had to offer as a comedian. And, and not everyone does have something to offer as a comedian. I've noticed that when people talk about um, someone else the other day, they were saying that the nature of comedians' personalities, you know, like as if we're not better or worse than anyone else, are we? But, I mean, I wouldn't say we're particularly normal, but what is normal, nobody's mm. normal. But mm. you, there may be some common characteristics about a comedian in that we might be a bit moody. <laughs> I don't know, or uh, want to be in a, a loner. We want to be outsiders. Like everyone's an outsider, so that makes none of us outsiders. But, you know, there, there's stuff in common, isn't there, with comedians? I think so. I remember, oh, like, speaking. finding... Come on, Nat. <laughs> <laughs> I yeah. remember, like, being a thing that when, when I was in dressing rooms with comedians, I thought it was a weird thing that you did, even though you wouldn't necessarily have something in common... It, yeah, you all have something in common that you can't yes. really put your finger on. Yes, but you sort of all kind of immediately you've got something, and it's not it's not just because you're all about to go on stage. Yeah, it's there's something in common when you talk to people which is absent, and you do feel a bit like, oh, it's you guys. Yeah. even though like as people you might not have anything in common. No. You might be like. You know, if you're having a chat about something, if you're meeting them in another context, you might struggle to yeah. start a conversation. But I always think that in that thing, I always felt like, it's oh, connected. these guys, there is something. You totally. are like me somehow, but oh, I don't know how. I think it's about the pain, though. I think it's the fact that I have respect. Like, there's a, it's just like, you know that we will all have done maybe some good gigs and some not so good gigs. And mm. that, and that, is it kind of unites there's a uniting factor about that that yeah. you would have done what i've done or in your own way um i know that and, i know yeah. that when i know that when uh i was starting out and all the people that i was starting out with i would i would have time i've got time for anyone that's given stand up a go you know yeah. you don't have to be a good stand up comedian but if you've given it a go and you've tried then mm. i've got time for you and i ended up um you know, it's not necessarily uh, the best stand-up comedians that you've got stuff. Uh, hmm. Nathaniel aside, <laughs> what, where, where are you going, Nick? Come on. Um, I, but do you know what I mean. It's just I, I think I think I think that stand-up comedians are all very different from each other, and hmm. not everyone. I think I see things in in my way. I'm not saying yep. I'm unique, but I do know that other people don't really see things the same way as me, and. Um, and I just think, mm. I think stand-up is really difficult and to, to do it, I don't know. To I, sustain I, it, to, to, to continually do that all your life, which you do. Um, now, I think what you say, yeah, okay, so I would, I would agree with both, though. I think that, like, I had to do some interviews uh, with new comedians or comedians that had made it in their region, some kind of premise that got the money for this programme to be done. Anyway, mm. um, and I didn't know them. And we're all we're all from different, you know, wherever. But I did enjoy the chat because it's that belief, it's that that somebody's ready to dance with you. It's just that you know, you just feel, you know, what once we get going, uh, then there's a an availability 
of the brain. I, I, well, it's just about connecting. You don't, have, and but I also know what you mean, Nick, about sometimes being old as well. It's like I, I don't, I can't watch the programs at the moment because I'm not in any of them. So I just can't. <laughs> I cannot watch television programs with all the panel and the this and then doing going through hoops or standing on things or going down sides, whatever it is, because I'm not in that group anymore. So I can't, I can't identify, uh, and I have to be age appropriate. But I do. So, but I also am quite critical. Are you? When I watch other content, I'm, I, I'm going. I, oh, is this funny? I can't. Not watch, in a mean way, but no, I just can't connect. I can't watch comedy. I don't. I don't. Oh. I don't enjoy it. Um, <laughs> I, I, I I watch uh, cooking shows. They're my favourite things. Oh, okay. But it also is is kind of like I can't do cakes. Oh no, no. I'm not I just, into. I can't. I'm not into I baking. cannot do those cake things. Please, baking, not no. more. No. Just why? Just no. I don't get Rick don't Stein. Know. If it's Rick Stein, uh, then I okay. can watch. I can watch him going, going around Cornwall, but um, yeah, I'm not interested <laughs> yes. in baking. On a little campfire on a pebble beach and seeing a bit of trout cooked, yeah. I suppose I could be interested in that. Or films, but in terms of comedy, I'm supportive of everyone, and I'm sort of like yeah, happy that everyone's nice. got their But at the same time, um, <laughs> I don't. Also, I don't. I'm not getting my inspiration as a comedian from watching other comedians. Very well put. What do you think now? Are that you, I, I'm liking this conversation I think it's now. Interesting. Yeah. I think it's interesting. I think also, I think generationally, I feel different from comedians who started even sort of three or four years after really? me almost. I think the wow. turnover changes so much. Mm-mm-mm. And there's lots of people I don't know. And you think, well, who are these guys? Because you didn't really start off at the same time. Or yeah, it's like being at playing... school exactly. in your year. Because exactly. I, like in my year when I started, there were like two other women and they both had to have the same name, Jenny. So like, <laughs> so there was two Jennies and me. And that was my year. So you don't take, and then you know who's the year above, don't you? Yeah, and then you might hang out. You might hang out, and you're like, I'm like, and I'm talking about it as if I still do it. Like I'm trying to wear the war wounds and be cool with you two because you're young. But um, I, I did do it like two years ago. I mean, I I can do it. I kind of transfer it now on the old literary festival. So once I was, um, you know, written my book and I got going on the literary festivals, I thought, wow, this is good. Because one, people want to come and see you. You know, you're not sandwiched between you know, other comedians. Like, they're forced to see you if you're 20 minutes. <laughs> um, and I really, that was the first time as a, a you know, over 50-year-old person. But I just thought, oh, I, I'm really enjoying this now. And so you can be a bit, go somewhere where before you always be very careful or like scripted or go to the gag and all that it's, mm. oh, maybe that's just getting older but it's quite nice to just go I can just be myself and I might be funny in this moment but I might not be funny in that moment like now I don't that's... think I've been that funny I might I think I've been funny twice so far but we've had quite serious chat haven't we but I can be funny but if I'm th- in the moment I think that I think that that's exactly what I enjoy most about performing is that um that it might be funny, it might not be funny, but it's it won't be a waste of time, you know. Yeah. Oh. You're kind of trying to do something that um, mm. isn't necessary. You know, it's I think it's quite a brave thing to do is to do something that isn't necessarily aiming towards the next punchline or the next gag. Mm-hmm. And you're kind of like, 
the, and it, mm. it, shows, it shows and I'm not just talking about myself but it shows mm. sort of like a level of uh, confidence where mm. you're kind of like uh, trusting the audience to kind of go with you on some stuff you've got a, I, I agree with that but what if I mean then so my problem I waver between huge um, confidence and huge insecurity I mean that's the, the, and so you go oh my god this is indulging if I'm missing the beat, right, I know I'm not being funny. If for some reason my brain, like today, I'm a bit like hungover, so the brain isn't quite firing. And I know that I'm not fired. And then you go, oh, but I totally get what you're saying. But then, oh my God, what an indulgence. I feel it's so indulging, indulgent, whatever the word indulge. I just feel I'm indulging myself. I'm not connecting with the audience. People see this old woman rambling. And you just go, oh, my God, this is torture. This is torture for everyone. I should leave, you know? Sure. But within your own <laughs> framework and within your own kind of, like, uh, uh, scale that you judge yourself, you are capable of still being crap. Do you know what I mean? Yes. You can, you there's a difference between uh, n deliberately not aiming for a laugh in that moment and telling a joke badly. Mm. Yeah. And yeah. And it's kind of like if you can kind of like hold an audience's attention. Yes. And be genuine. Um, and be genuine, then you don't need to be funny. But if you're telling a shit joke, then it's kind of like, well, that is a waste of everyone's time. It is. Know? And also the repetition. Um, I always struggle with the repetition of the gag. Um, I don't know how you both find that when you know there's a joke. Because you've written it and it yeah. often and it mostly works, um, but then you got all oh, just doing that joke now, <laughs> and then they're just like oh, coming up to the joke moment, oh. and um, <laughs> and that is quite oh, and then you feel ashamed that you that I that one is almost too knowing. I don't know. It's a very complex thing. Yeah, I want my, I want the audience. I want to know them and them to love me a lot. You know what I mean? I just need that love. It's very yeah. ego. Yeah, absolutely. Thing. But one of the things that I thought when you were talking earlier about talking to other comedians, I think it's kind of like, I find comedy very scary. And and because we've all sort of like worked out how to do it ourselves, mm. you know, um, it's kind of like talking to other comedians can be comforting because you're like, I do that. And mm. it can also shed light on what you do. And you can go, oh, I've never thought about doing it like that. Or you go, Fucking hell, that sounds insane the way you do it. I'm actually happy the way I do it. Yes. Mm. All of that. I really do think you could be a life coach because I there's but but all of those examples rely or assume that there is a connection because we are we're taking something meaningful from all of those options. Because I would probably in a conversation with a comedian have all of those things going, one, I don't feel so lonely because you've talked about that. Two, you go, wow, you've given me a great idea. That's really liberating, you know, to hear mm. somebody else's strength and or, or struggle, self-struggle, right? It's very, um, oh, it's all inspiring. It just, it's, it's, a, it's a huge interest to me. I'm yeah. really interested in how you do it, like genuinely interested, yeah. Yeah, and uh, and I think that it's that sort of like, maybe there's an easier, maybe there's an easier way to do it that would make my life a lot more simple and a lot mm. more comfortable. And, or maybe I've just hit on the only way that I am able to write a joke and get on stage and tell it. Yeah. And maybe that's me. It's also sort of like, I'm trying to tidy my flat at the moment <laughs> and it's an absolute shithole, right? Yes. And I'm, I've got quite a small flat and I've got too much stuff and I'm shifting stuff from one room to another, to another. Stressful. And that is 
almost a uh, illustration of how my brain works and how I do comedy, right? Yes. And you can go around to someone else, another comedian's flat, and it's all tidy like and clean. Is Nat's tidy? Nat's yeah. has got less things in his flat than yours, Nick. Not just got less things, he's got no things. The stuff <laughs> no, but I mean, I, this is this is this is basically <laughs> I pretend because I've I've put the computer in a room where there's less, so I don't so people don't have to see the horror. Okay. Of other rooms. Okay. So, well, how are you communicating then if there's no computer? Oh, no, are no. You... This is the computer's in this room. Oh, sorry. But, um, you but see, it's, this it's is because if it was in I a different str- room, I get it worried. would be. <laughs> I get really worried. I need to know, I need to understand everything you're saying now. On, <laughs> on, on this subject, do you, I sometimes think, I sometimes worry. I like the idea that stand up is in some way at its most lofty. When I think of it, I go, oh, actually we're doing something that there's something magic that I don't quite understand. And I don't want to know about it. Yeah. At the same time, what I also think is what I've probably learned is a series of cheap tricks that mm. trick me and an audience into laughing. And I right. can't tell what the balance is. Like, am I, have I just learned, you know, certain like weird techniques yeah. that subliminally on purpose I've learned that tell an audience to laugh or yeah. is, or am I doing something which feels a bit, more special or a bit i like mm. to think of it that you're doing something oh that's quite self-critical isn't it that's that's the danger of self of thinking too much which oh, yeah. is because then you can think yourself out of it and you, like i was saying or you know telling repeating a joke then you feel it's not genuine but then like if you're in, in a play you have to that, like everything is new that that audience never seen you before so it is like an experience that will never come again so you just have to be very existentialist and just go in this moment yes and then just charge for that hour whatever but that's interesting god we're all i think we're quite interesting i hope we're not boring people do you think we're boring people because we'll say oh would you stop talking about comedy now who do you think you are <laughs> we can or, stop talking we can we can stop talking about i haven't plugged my i haven't told you about the important <laughs> thing apart from the fact that now i want you to be my friends or something like that as comedians, <laughs> comedian counsellors. I liked you as soon as you I liked up. you. I liked really? you as soon I as you appeared on the screen. I just need some today, actually. Do you ever have that? Just need, just need a bit of affirmation. A little bit of oh, affirmation. Yeah. I don't even say the word. A little bit. And you go, yes, I know who I am. They know who I am. I can do it. But then when you have like a whole day or two days of things going wrong and no affirmation, it's amazing how you lose Oh, I'll just walk on stage and yeah. you know do this. No, absolutely, I need that affirmation, but I'm too scared to ask for it. So, I, oh yeah. yeah, okay, that's so, an admission. I think that's there's brave. people. I think there's people on Twitter that are very good at sort of like going, um, oh, uh, like, like other comedians that are very good at like going, oh, I'm I'm having a bit of a tough day. Can everyone oh. tell me that they love me? Whereas. Oh. <laughs> When it's me, I just go quiet for like eight days. And then and does anyone call? Do people no. bother? No. no. So are you helping yourself there, Nick? Possibly not. I think even fake affirmation, I'll take it. Do you know what I mean? Because uh, it has to be relatively fake in this world, because who knows anyone? But I just think being nice, okay, being nice or thank you letters or thank you emails even, like even after this, I'm sure the lovely producer will go, oh, thank you, Helen. I really liked it when you did X. I just think those like a little detail, a bespoke detail, is that old fashioned? I just think, you know, like two sentences are better than thanks for doing it. I think, you know? yeah. 
I, I I don't know if it's old fashioned, and I don't mm. know. I, right, all, all I'll I, comment on that. I won't draw you on that. No, no. All I know is that um, it's not necessarily the way that you've been treated in the past. It's you know, it's uh, do as you would be done by. You know, yep. it's like, oh, do you know what I would appreciate when I've done, whenever I've done a podcast or I've done something, and I haven't had a. <laughs> text afterwards yeah. to say yes. it's all okay you. you haven't you haven't cancelled <laughs> yourself you haven't destroyed your oh, career. Don't. you haven't said anything that you're gonna you know it's all yeah. okay that was a great that was a great podcast that was a great show that was a great re tv recording it was a great whatever it was if you just get that and if you don't get it you're there just sitting there going well what did i do did i exactly so, but it's oh, like oh, it is uh, it is a nice yeah, do as you whatever. If that was a Bible parable thing, is it? it? I don't know. Jesus, I think it was. Jesus. Was it Jesus who suggested it mm. originally? <laughs> also, oh, something like, like this that. is tricky because it's it, you. We're all on a Zoom call, mm. so at the end of it, we're all just going to be on our own again. We're going to turn <laughs> a thing, and we're going to immediately. We're not going to go home. We're not going to travel home. We're not going to pop back somewhere and say goodbye to each other. We're all just going to. This is going to end, and we're all just going to be sat in a room by yeah. ourselves, and, and then, then we go. Oh doing okay. the next thing or i'm yeah. well i because i am wanting to tell the people apart, you know you very kindly invited me on probably um somebody suggested you did but um because the the, the witty comedy prize i set up three years ago has just had its long list um and so obviously i would like people to go on the comedy women in print website to see that and um, it is, did you, I mean, I, it sounds like I'm not selling it. I'm selling it well, so okay. much. Well, let's do, let's okay. do I sometimes feel a bit dull when I talk about a thing that is not, I'm much more interested in talking about stand-up comedy, but I want people to know about witty women's writing. Okay. I do. Well, let's do this, let's do this properly. Okay. You've, had, uh, you've had a long career. Uh, you've done a bit of everything over that time. And it got to 2018 and you've said, um, there's a gap here and I want to create something that's going to shine a light on uh, comedy women in print and you're going to create a prize for it. So why? Why Why did it come about in the first place? Yeah, thank you for why, asking. <laughs> why at this stage in your life and your career did you feel it was necessary? Because I had, I wrote a comedy, my first comedy novel um, in 2015 and then I had been a judge on various things. And then I said, this, you know, I looked around rather hopefully for a prize to win. To, and there wasn't one for, I mean, I've been a judge on the women's prize. And I know that prizes don't necessarily produce the best in quotes product. Because, and particularly, God, you know more than anyone with comedy. So you can't because, uh, you know, I've been in plays and things where people are incensed when they're not amused when they're told that they should be I mean comedy produces so much anger so the thing is to go okay we've got a broad let's introduce a broad sweep of different types of witty of wit now I think wit's much more empowering than funny in a way and 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 so one is confessional one is satire one is this one is more domestic you know, fine, nothing is right or wrong, but what wasn't happening was um, it was very difficult for unpublished women writers to become published. And looking around, everybody wants to be a writer, and there is amazing talent out there, and it's only a drop in the ocean, but it seems to have, well, like, the entries have doubled, and it's, it, it is, 
I have turned myself into kind of an admin stressed person looking at emails. I, I mean, I'm so bad at it. Also, I'm a very bad manager of people. So it is, I'm not playing to my strengths by doing it, but I can't stop now because it's created careers for mm. unpublished writers because HarperCollins published the winning book and they give them five grand. So we've created a situation that is real. And with the runner-up prizes, they get places uh, place on an MA, an online MA in comedy of Falmouth. Uh, we've not we've not done those um, and creative right. So it's meaningful meaningful rewards, meaningful platform, meaningful visibility. But it's not enough. Uh, and so I know I'm not doing enough in various areas. And people are very quick to tell me I'm not doing enough. But then I'm going, oh, I'd quite like to do a show again. Oh, I've got to finish my memoir where I talk about sex and the eighties and 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 see if anyone's interested. You know, I want to do stuff before I die, really. And I am, you know, how how many years have I got left? Probably about ten tops before I have to live in a bungalow or something. And uh, you know, so I've got to do do the stuff now. I think this, you're doing plenty is, by the sound very, of it. This is very oh, negative the way you're looking at it. I am. I am so negative, Nick. I think you should be Pigeon. incredibly positive about it. When you say you're not doing enough, are you saying that people are telling you you're not doing enough in terms of you're not doing enough in terms of promoting comedy women in print? Or well, I, th I think um, I think because there because my bit of it is because when Harper Collins came on board to actually publish the book that that's there that's wonderful so that the uh the unpublished writers uh, uh go through the portal of the website but they uh, so it's judged blind and it's free but but i was made aware that um the uh winner uh, the long-listed were not people of color which is the the uh and i hold my hand up to that and we made a little statement and now i'm very excited about trying to do something else but is that you know positive action is really important but then tokenism is also a problem uh we can do better we can do better but you know, if you're thinking about witty women writers or a microcosm of stuff anyway, it's very difficult to achieve everything when I'm not even in charge. <laughs> I'm just yeah. in charge of my emails and also, trying to it's very be nice to people. For you to achieve everything by <laughs> yourself. You yeah, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not a politician, <laughs> you know. I think, I think that from my point of view, I have picked, um, so I do a charity gig every year haven't done it in lockdown mm -hmm. I do it for shelter because I'm mm -hmm. very passionate about um homelessness and I think that that's something that we should get rid of and that's that's my hill yeah. that Brilliant. I will die on right that that is something that I will do and if I do a charity gig that's where the money goes yeah that's what I do that's yeah. my contribution yes right and yes you could give everyone a pound you know or you could put all of that money in one uh, re revenue that you think is is worthy and yes. it's not saying that you're not saying that that's the only worthy thing but you're trying to do something and you're trying to say well this is what i'm this is what this is the positive impact that i am trying to make on as this a person group, as, a, as, yeah. as an individual on this group of people or you could be overwhelmed at all of the all of the issues i am a little bit overwhelmed because uh, especially and I, I, we're all aware of it you know um one one is one 
is on Twitter. I mean, I'm very sporadic, my own thing. I'm hit and miss. And all I want to do is like write something a bit weird and then somebody else does it weird. And then you go, oh, that's weird. And I love that whole chain of weirdness. But we, but that's a rarity now because I'll do charity like you and, and support other comedians or support causes because that's useful. It's a platform, but it's not so much that kind of witty place where you can do banter and stuff. And then um, it, it is a useful place for people to fish out injustices and, and there's a relevance to all that. But also deep down, there is a, there's a time now where, you, you know, you talk, you, there's fear that, that through innocence or intent of intent, that it will all go, it will all go ugly yeah. and wrong, and you won't be heard, and then you go, why? And shall I just get back into bed and not do anything, kind of thing? Yeah, it's it's scary times right now. Would you agree? Yeah, on social really, media. Yeah, and and to be kind of having a career that is based on pub, public a public yeah. image or being out there in the public, I think it's difficult. I also think that there's sort of been a breakdown in um, uh, people people don't tend to give people the benefit of the doubt anymore and yeah. you can make a mistake um and yeah. people will look for the worst in it as opposed to the fact that there's an innocent mistake you and it's know? helpful i mean the, the i really agree with that and you just go you know people that people we made the statement and people commenting you know you've left your egos at the door that's great you know that and you just it was a graphic you know uh it's like all you can do is say we can do better. And that is a message because another person might have missed that. You know, it's not, I probably am not unique in making a mistake in, in, in fields, but it, it's what, it's that corny thing. It's what you do with it, turn it into a positive mm. and go, if I made that mistake, a lot of people make that mistake. So can this be useful? Um, yeah. it's, it sounds like a bit of spin though, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> I always think that about Twitter and things. Twitter always strikes me as it's it's the wrong platform for people to operate on because it's built on this idea that you can only say a really a thing really in a really short yeah. amount of uh, words. And it's silly. It's the idea of people are trying to have very difficult, complicated arguments mm -hmm. on a on a platform that only allows you to use a certain amount of characters. It's and just that's about, ridiculous. It's so, just about the right it's just about the right platform to test out one liners. Yes. Yeah. And then on top yeah, of that, it's like it's or, or to put a link to an article. It's a link to say this is funny or that's on or uh yeah, or find a like a song like I found this weird song on YouTube by Melanie we you wouldn't even heard of like I ride my bicycle or something, and then it just got all sorts of lovely people like John Dowie like the people that I knew in the eighties would would that was beautiful because you're doing a memory then other people go oh I was in the audience went great then that's a connecting thing but as you're right it that the shortness. It, it can be quite it, 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 elliptical. It, it, it can be fun. It can actually, the shortness can make something funny because less is more. So there's that. But then, but then, as, you, of, as now I'm saying, anything new, else, how are you going to do it? In terms of nuanced debate, it's just sort of like, whoa, hang on. And, yeah. you know, you're writing it and you're going, well, this is too long-winded for Twitter, so I'll leave that out. But then yeah. the thing that you left out is the one thing that actually you needed to leave in to get it's, your point it's kind yes. of like, it's, it's an absolute minefield and so in terms of kind of anything beyond um anything beyond 
I don't know. It's like, it's like, just we talk a lot about films on this thing. Mm. And um, I don't even know if it's worth saying. Uh, the, a trailer for the new for the new Ghostbusters film got released last week. And I said, this looks quite good. <laughs> right? And mm. people's instant reaction, because they did a remake in 2016, which was all women. And okay. I... And and it didn't do very well at the box office, and so they've made a sequel to the Bill Murray one from the eighties. Right? Okay. And so I said, this one looks good because the trailer looked good, and people come in and they say, well, they should make a sequel to the to the one in two thousand sixteen. You go, well, I'm not talking about any other film other than this one trailer, <laughs> but this thing that I have just seen. I'm seeing this looks good. I'm not having an argument. I'm not commenting. Yeah, I'm not yeah. commenting on just this. movies. Just this. Just this. Just this. <laughs> Just this, just this, just this two-minute trailer that I quite enjoyed. I've said this looks good. This is not a political debate. I am not like lo- drawing a line in the sand. I'm not saying anything. That's so funny. That and is even, so typical. Even something as simple as watching something, enjoying it, and sharing it turns into a debate, and you're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I don't want. But that. then, if you don't do that, Nick, I mean, if you're not because people want to see your take on it. I mean, there is a. There is an interest. I mean, don't you? I mean, I was actually out today, but you know, people are constantly on their phones just checking. I mean, it is part of our landscape, isn't it? Or well, there are brave, well, very sort of very successful actresses, probably. Like, I'm thinking, I read an article, somebody said they just weren't on it. Oh, can't remember who now. But I was thinking, well, maybe you don't need to be on it. Um, a famous actress in some magazine. Anyway, so you just go, oh, okay. So some people just, that would be quite beautiful, wouldn't it? To actually not be part of it. It's, but then how can we do that? We can't not be part of it. Well, it's putting the genie back in the bottle. And I think yeah. really um, in, it's impossible to have local conversations and everything is a global conversation. And yeah. everyone lives locally, but online has an international presence. And mm. it's kind of like, what is applicable for the area of London that I live in and how I go about my daily life mm. will be different from how it is uh, in uh, you know, middle America. Or- but as a comedian, do you not have your own followers and you know, who have a, a, a pleasure and an expectation of your kind of genre? You know, like they go, oh, I wonder what Nat's thinking today. I wonder what Nick's going to say today. You know, there's there's a kind of, thing going on that you have to that it's good for you to keep providing the fodder for that because there's a market for it so i think i think there's some people that are built for um cannibalizing and documenting their life from the minute they wake up in the morning and uh you know i go on instagram and there's people that are really good at sort of like posting pictures and maybe they'll do 10 pictures a day yes <laughs> and i'm lucky if i can if i can come I up with one picture a day yeah maybe and, where you're looking nice <laughs> and it's uh, but I, I i i hardly ever post pictures of myself on instagram it will normally if it is it's me wearing a mask and normally but what do you take me. pictures of because they can be quite dull you know when you see inanimate you go why am i interested in that stapler why i need to know more it's like <laughs> you have to have faces but then do you do that thing where you're in a restaurant like you know a booth a restaurant booth with like surrounded by people and then you take a snap of yourself and everyone is looking very pleased that they're in the restaurant booth and we're <laughs> all supposed to go wow you're in the restaurant all together having a meal wow that, no. that and then that's it it repeats no. We're in another restaurant having another meal with different groups of I friends. T- I take pictures of abstract things. 
Okay, yeah. so your estate, but you're probably going, hey, look at this plant. It's it's weird because you're in a, a industry where it is all about attracting attention to yourself. Yep. And Let's in reality, in reality, I uh, find that shameful and embarrassing. Yep. And it. so I will take a picture of maybe a shoe that I am wearing <laughs> and post that, but not my face. I would uh, look at that. I would look. I would be interested in your shoe because I'd be interested in the caption you would. Although I don't think Instagram encourages too many captions, does it? I think the speak the picture has got to this is a shoe would maybe just be enough. It's I a don't know. Try and sustain interest, but <laughs> I might need guidance with a few words of your take of the shoe. So I uh, encourage you to do. But I will. I can't. I have to get people who I'm with to put to do my Instagram when I'm with them. I hand them the phone like a sure. child and just put it, this on. It can come across as sort of like you know you can say this is my shoe, but then you could just <laughs> put shoe. Dot, 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 question mark. And then it comes across as needy, do you know what I mean? Because you yeah. know, you well, it's confidence. It's back to your confidence, though. It's back to, you know, that the joy that you can give, you know, like assuming, if you assume that you've got something to say, then other people will assume the same thing. It's contagious. So I assume. confident. I assume I've painted myself into a corner and I can't do anything else and that people, uh, I'm, I'm regularly surprised, uh, I say regularly surprised, I'm not regularly surprised. No. I am always surprised yeah. when Clever. people seem to be uh, happy that I've turned up. It's oh, like right. <laughs> I've, I've got a fairly low opinion of... Yeah, uh, got quite low, low self-esteem then, Nick. Low, low, low confidence and low self-esteem. But ah. there are sort of like tricks about getting up on stage and getting yourself to do it. Yeah. Well, that's we've come full circle in a way. That's not to be controlling. But, you know, when we were saying about like the characteristics of a comedian, mm. like we've all contributed a bit like that. I mean, you know, I'm a bit down myself, at, you, know, you know, dealing with how to do better, shall we say, and like on the school report, can do better. That's true. Um, you know, bon, yeah, that I have to do better, but I have to do better. Um, so, yeah, I think we're, so we're all quite insecure people, but I, I think we're quite funny. Like that insecurity is very humorous. That that assumption that people aren't really interested in us, that it's we're just conflicted, right? And that's interesting. Maybe maybe it's not the confidence to be confident, you know, and maybe mm. it's the confidence to be able to say that you are lacking in certain areas, mm. and that you are actually voicing what other people think, you know. Yeah, well, because- that's it. But that's the comedian. That's the thing of the comedian that we're saying the unsayable, but we're saying the thing that connects. Because then, why would you laugh? Why would anyone laugh at you if they didn't absolutely get your, like they say, the truth? I mean, that is that we are saying what other people we are saying it in such a way that it can be recognised. That causes the laughter. I think I you think, only get laughs if people recognise what you're saying. Yeah, and I think in other circles of life and in other industries and in other professions, the, the aim is to portray the fact that you've got your shit together and you know what you're doing mm. whereas in comedy you can go on stage and you can say i haven't got a fucking clue mm. and people are relieved to hear they, yes whatever is swimming around and exploding in their brains yes is true for other people as well 
I very I would like to go and see you do that one, that show. Like I haven't got a fucking clue. That will probably be the next show. I think and people that's go, all oh, let's, my shows. I think let's... all of my shows. <laughs> yeah, a riff on people that. go, wow, that guy really has no fucking clue, right? <laughs> but, <laughs> so I like that. And then this was my version of that. I don't know if we're ever going to talk about anything else, but my version of that in t- when Nat and I were up at the same time um was that I'd have my script, or I'd have my CBT oil, and then I'd have my script uh, just sort of stage left, right, slightly hidden on a table. And then I'd just go, oh, okay, just got to pick the script up. Just got to pick it up now. Or then I, or before that, it got bad, I said, where was I? And the very dutiful people would go, you were just uh, outside the massaging in, in Charing Cross, thank you. So then, and it just turned, and I just thought, you know, I've just got to do this, I've got to look at my script, and I've got to get the audience to remind me where I am. I, think that, I don't know if that's good or bad, but that was all I could offer. That becomes its own style, though, Stan, right? Stan it has its own style. Stan, but it is. No, but it is. It is. I that's think. what I would do. I write on my hands and I, yes. have, I have notes. <laughs> because at the end of the day, if they're laughing and they're enjoying themselves, that's the job. The job, I, I've never thought of the job as this is a memory test. I've thought yes. the job as yeah. is a test. Oh, the memory. The memory. Like, if you're acting, can you imagine, like, lines? Because you have to do your lines because otherwise people get cross with you because of the cues. Like another actor might really mind that you might do a Nick Elm <laughs> going, oh, I'm a fucking click. Go, no, we're on the on the stage now and you have to say that line so I can say that line. Yeah, so, sure. <laughs> and the memory is, and I remember like Christopher Biggins on some pro, like loose ends, I you know, like you do those things. And he was going, oh, why, darling? Why? All those lines. And so, but when he was young, he was in like uh, up Pompeii and things, I think, you know, and you just go, maybe there comes a point when you just go, I don't want to learn lines anymore. Well, anyway, think, what else should we talk about? Have we well, been talking we've for got five three, hours? We've got three minutes to talk oh. about something, <laughs> right? So can you just, can you just <laughs> clarify, and we don't want any tangents, just stick to okay. this, right? So this Comedy Women in Print Prize yeah. 2021, the long list has been uh, announced. Yeah, of the of the published and the unpublished. And uh, interestingly, on the published, I can't pronounce it even now, Mel Gudreich, you know, yeah, yeah. Her, yeah. her book, Andy Osho, um, a, 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 a Diksha Basu. Uh, we have some really funny, weird broad sweeps uh, a very good one is that where people go into disaster zones that intrigued me it was a korean translation and that's funny i thought that is funny i'd be interested to read about going into a disaster zone as a comedy um so and then that yeah so and then we have the shortlist in september and the winner is in november and then we do it better even next year so who who votes uh, no one votes. Uh, we have like a diverse range of celebrity judges, like Maureen Lipman, Steph, Steph, um, who does Pack Lunch, that program. That's Steph right, McGovern. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, 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 we've got like stand-up comedians. Uh, like I don't know. It's on the website. So I can't remember because sure. I'm pretty sure I did two seconds there. Like amazing <laughs> um, from old to young. Gloria Hunniford, Thania uh, Moore, stand-up comedian, probably gigged with her. Like. People who know stuff are mm-hmm. judging. And there's the panel. And then when do the results come out? And um, then the party that you're all going to come to is on, please, is in November. And that's when it's about announced. I, do you think we'll be in lockdown again in November? I think we'll I mean, be dead in November. <laughs> 
What? What did you say? I think we'll all be dead in November. Oh no! Don't, don't. There's something there. Um, but yeah. All right, we'll be positive. There'll be a party in November. Yes, there'll be a party. We'll all hang out. It'll be a great Zoom party. We'll all pre drinks. (laughs) No, real. It's going to be real. I'm going to get gin. Everything's going to work. Yes. Well, please invite us, and we'll. Yeah. No, you're on the list. Um, We got your email. Uh, so, so the, the party's in November, and that's when uh, the winner winners invite. Thank you winners for being organised about this interview, Nick. I've, I just uh, want you to get your message across. Bless you. Thank you. Yeah, my message is: I th- have I got the message? Has it come across at all? I think it has come across. It's been very interesting for me because also I'm talking, but I also want to point out. I feel a need to point out that you're talking about something as someone who's much more unsuccessful than the pair of you that it feels almost like i'm agreeing on things whereas actually you're talking about things from a a different a slightly different perspective so i just want to say what's your perspective then well i feel like mine's always a a little bit different because i don't feel like i'm I'm in the same sphere and but i think there's an advantage to that yeah. I feel that, that I think there's an advantage of being quite anonymous. <laughs> okay. oh, you're and not. I quite I enjoy know your it. name, Nat. You're a comedian and uh, uh, you're you're called Delightfully Silly. And I think that's very liberating. <laughs> so I like that. I like everything about you both and the programme now that I I've been on it. Thank you for having me. This proves, Helen, that you've done you've done your research. Uh-huh. I know. That automatically makes you in the top tier of guests. Oh, yes. yeah. Absolutely um, top you. tier. Well, okay, we've got time for a uh, quick game of the game Better or Worse, where, Helen, I'm going to pass you over to the capable, if anonymous, hands of Nathaniel George Metcalf. Um, Okay. uh, uh, Take it away, Nathaniel. Let's play the game. Okay, Helen, this game is called Better or Worse, and you have to say whether the next person is better or worse than the person before, based entirely on my opinions to score points. Okay, so I've got to project what you would be thinking. Exactly. Oh, that's clever. Otherwise, I get so anxious because I don't want more people to hate me. No, it's fine. They can only be. This is exactly it. This is exactly (laughs) it. Clever concept. So, beginning with Björk. Is Vincent Price better or worse than Björk, according to me? Better. 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 Phil Collins, better or worse than Vincent Price? Worse. 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 Orson Welles, better or worse than Phil Collins? Better. 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 Clive Owen, better or worse than Orson Welles? Worse. Worse, because I can't remember who Clive Owen is. It's an actor, isn't he? Yeah. Owen Wilson, better or worse than Clive (laughs) Owen? Better. That's funny. Um, Better. 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 Richard Gere, better or worse than Owen Wilson? Uh... Worse? Worse! Oh, did I get that wrong? Oh, no! No, you got it right! Wow, you got it worse! Richard Branson, better or worse than Richard Gere? Worse. Worse? Worse! Richard Attenborough, better or worse than Richard Branson? Better. Better. Better! Michael Douglas, better or worse than Richard Attenborough? Worse? Worse! Michael J. Fox, better or worse than Michael Douglas? Better. 
Oh, yes, better. Yes, it's a you ten. Got a ten. You got a ten. You got a ten. <laughs> I, I got a nine, but you got a ten. That's amazing. I've never done that. Oh, that was anxious. You got a ten. Any out of 10. scoring situation can raise my blood uh, pressure. I'm in. I'm in danger now. Expiring. Helen Ledger, you got a ten, which means that you are better than Dane Baptiste and Marina Sirtis with nine. Uh, Baz from Massiwakis with eight. Jamie Adams, Carl Gas, Izzy Sooty with six. Sarah Gibbs, Laura Jean Marsh with five. You are That's currently poor. five is poor, uh, yeah. isn't it? It's a poor result. It's poor. Five is absolutely fucking <laughs> appalling. I don't expect anyone to have any worse than that. Five. Uh, but but you got uh, you got fucking. Te- you are the top of the leaderboard at the moment. I think I may have been assisted, but I'll take that. No, I I've got ten out of ten today, and I'm I'm. You've made me happy. It's hard. It's, it's it's tough. It's tough getting into uh, this anonymous man's mind. Yes, but you certainly you certainly did it. Um, well, um, thank you so much for coming on the show. I thank you. That was well, great. we'll meet again on the circuit, on Twitter, uh, at the party, in the writing, shopping mall. You're writing a book at the moment. Aren't I'm you? writing so, my memoir. When you've finished it, would you come back yeah. on the show and, and talk about that? Yeah, that will be int- that will be specifics. Then I'll go into specifics because I'll be chapters. Sure. So you can go talk me through chapter three, Helen, or something like that. Yeah. Great. Yeah? Great. It's, fo- it's focused. Brilliant. <laughs> well, uh, but until then, uh, welcome to the fan club clubhouse. Uh, you got a 10 out of 10. You should be very pleased with yourself. Thank you. Um, and uh, so it's goodbye from me. It's goodbye from Nathaniel. Goodbye. And it's goodbye from Helen Ledra. Goodbye. And uh, everybody, look after each other, be nice to each other, and uh, we're almost out of the woodwork, but don't be a cant, because we might be right back in it again. So, (laughs) have fun. Bye. If you get in trouble...